Welcome to the Catholic Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. This week, we begin our Lenten journey, a chance and a challenge to grow closer to God and to dig deeper into our faith through His one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Opening this week's sampler, we have an offering from CatholicExchange.com. In this podcast, Alan Smith shares the wisdom of the Venerable Fulton J. Sheen as a Lenten guide. You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is your faithful editor and host, here today with a little bit more Lenten preparation for all of you who are thinking, how on earth is Lent coming up so quickly? Well, it is, but we're here to help. And here really to help us is a fascinating Renaissance man from Canada, Mr. Alan Smith. Alan is the editor of Cries is Jesus from the Cross, which is an anthology of Fulton Sheen's writings about the seven last words of Jesus. It's the perfect Lenten retreat for you if you can't get to a regular one. And speaking of retreats, Alan also is a retreat director. He's a writer, radio host. He's also the creator of bishopsheentoday.com and the founder of the Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Mission Society of Canada. I mentioned he's a renaissance man because by trade he's a pipe fitter, plumber. He can fix a house and also lead you to Fulton Sheen to help fix your soul. So he's an all-around great guy to have. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Michael, thanks for having me on Catholic Exchange. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, thank you for your enthusiasm about uh, the talents that God has given me to be this Renaissance man of, you know, as you said, uh, <laughs> a pipe fitter. They call me the pipe padre. So, uh, oh, you wow. know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of that it's this, you know, this man who is on the radio talking about Fulton Sheen and sharing the, the rosary and stuff. So the pipe padre is what uh, you you can you can call me the pipe padre if you want during this interview. <laughs> but Al is fine, too. I'm good. OK, okay. well, I mean. And it makes sense. Fulton Sheen seems like my grandfather, who was as working class Irish as it got, he loved watching Fulton Sheen. And I've always been impressed that Sheen, you know, had his PhD. He was very well educated, but he always appealed to the workers in North America as well. Just uh, I know this has nothing to do with your anthology, but why do you think that is with Fulton Sheen? Well, he he spoke to the heart and, Mm. you know, he just had these kind uh, trusting eyes. I mean, there were eyes that could look into your soul. But I think when you looked him, looked at him on the on the television screen, you just said, you know what? He's my friend. He's not here to uh, you know put a beating on me. He's not here to make <laughs> me <laughs> feel uncomfortable. You know, he's here to to just guide me through. I I, I always remember the best um, saying of a priest. Someone told me a priest is someone who brings Jesus to the people and then helps bring the people to Jesus. Mm. And I I really felt that with Fulton Sheen, that he was bringing me Jesus, but he was also helping me to come closer to Jesus. And so I could trust him, either listening to him on the radio or watching him on television. He just uh, had that warmth, and he was that parish priest that you say, I'm comfortable listening to him tell me how to get closer to Jesus. So, And I think that's why he... Uh, it was well received by millions each week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he came in, and it was what's beautiful. It's a beautiful environment in that you could always turn him off if you wanted to. You know, <laughs> I think sometimes when you're uh, at church, you just can't walk out. You know, <laughs> you have to stay there. And uh, yes. 
But again, people didn't turn them off. People listened to the very end. And um, I hear stories all the time of people, uh, you know, I call it our mature audience. Those uh, people that are over 60 would say, oh, mm-hmm. I remember the teacher used to ask me, uh, they'd quiz us, um, you know, what did Fulton Sheen say uh, on television? And what did he what did he talk about? So uh, it was kind of the coffee cooler, the Monday morning, um, uh, you know, I say coffee cooler, I should say water cooler. I got coffee all the time. You know, it was a great conversation starter on Monday morning, you know, talking about Fulton Sheen. What brought you to Fulton Sheen initially? Well, it was a God incident, as we always say, those God incidents. I, I was dropping my daughter off to a Catholic college, Our Lady Seat of Wisdom College up in Barry's Bay, Ontario. And uh, first day of school, just making sure that she was settled into her dorm. And my wife was spending time at the library, and they had a bunch of free books they were giving away because they were trying to make room for the new editions. Mm-hmm. And so she picked up four or five Bishop Shane books that... Um, you know, were tattered and old, but uh, still, she saw the word free, and she picked them up, and and we opened up one of those books together, and it was Fulton Sheen's uh, book, uh, Peace of Soul, uh, mm. 1949, New York bestsellers list, and the first line in that book was, unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. And I, I just uh, went, wow, uh, this is powerful. Unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. Who talks this language anymore about saving souls? And um, I just knew right away. I said, I, I like what I'm reading. And uh, so I came home and I said to my wife, I said, I want to I wanna read some more Fulton Sheen. And so the first book I read was Victory Over Vice, uh, a mm. great little book from 1939. Where I love that book. I think everybody does because he's a, he gently guides us through the seven deadly sins and he gives us the antidote to those sins and uh, with the seven last words. And he was the first priest to make me feel guilty and a sorrow for my sin. Uh, there was something about Sheen's writings that just somehow convicted me to say, you know what, you had something to do with our Lord's crucifixion. Uh, it was your sin that put him on the cross. And uh, somehow I just said, you know what, you're right. And uh, I thought I only had one or two of the deadly sins, but I think I was, had all seven to some degree, okay? <laughs> yeah. um, but because Sheen, he presented our Lord as the antidote and the, of mm-hmm. course, the seven last words, you know, the sin of anger. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, to the sin of gluttony, he says, I thirst. And, and you can just piece it all together. But it was that book that got my attention because Sheen was that priest who as I said, brought me to this point of sorrow to say, uh, you know what, I need to reconcile with God. And uh, I don't know what it was, it was a special grace, but Sheen had the uh, methodology to get into my mind and to get into my heart and to bring Mm -hmm. me closer to Jesus. And so after that book, I just started to read every book I could find on Fulton Sheen that was under 150 pages. I like the small reads, you know. And, sure. uh, but Bishop Sheen has lots of beautiful small books, The Cross and the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. The Way to Happiness, many beautiful small titles. And so he met me where I was at with not wanting these big, big books. But uh, I think I read about 20 of Sheen's titles, like 20 titles. And after that, I just said, you know what, I want to do a bit more. And I've been on the radio in Canada since 2006. And so I went to the radio station where I have my weekly show. And I said, can I do a Bishop Sheen hour? 
and I secured the rights to his um, recordings, and I started playing Bishop mm-hmm. Sheen on a public radio station uh, in Canada, and oh, uh, wow. great success. I love it because this, I mean, Fulton Sheen, he loved it too because he's saying, this is what I want to be. I want to be on public radio where it's both Catholic and Protestants and Jews. Everybody can listen. And um, I tell you, my phone lines just lit up the first week I went into the radio station and uh, people thought he's still alive. Where can I see Fulton Sheen? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I had to say, I'm sorry he passed away in 1979, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he's going to be here every week. We're going to keep playing his talks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that show is still running to this day on that station. And um, so, again, just a beautiful God incidence, that one book in the library mm-hmm. at Our Lady Seat of Wisdom College. And it started me on this um, journey with Sheen. So, uh that's where it began. Uh, that's delightful. People always find Fulton Sheen in their own way. I know I, like millions of people, discovered him because his show was on late at night and I had insomnia at the time. And I was like, oh, what's this guy up to? And then I kept watching. So, And I know that's millions of people's stories. Or they find a book at the library. It's always delightful how they find... It's almost like Fulton Sheen is finding them than the other way around. But who knows? Uh, to move on... We have this new book that you so wonderfully put together, Cries of Jesus from the Cross. Why did you compile these sections into this book? Well, you know, I think I wanted to um, I wanted to leave something behind. You know, I think we all kind of say, is there, you know, everybody says, I want to write a book. I want to give uh, mm-hmm. a, a self-help book. And I thought of my three adult children, and I thought, you know, if Bishop Sheen's writings touch my life so much, I want to be able to pass something on to my children. And I know that Bishop Sheen helped my father a great deal too, and that's another story in itself. But again, this idea of a priest bringing Jesus to the people and helping bring the people to Jesus, I thought Sheen seems to have this beautiful catechesis where he can speak about the seven last words and put us on what I call a program, because our spiritual journey is one of you know, successes and failures. You know, we fall and then we have to pick ourselves up and try again. And I realized after analyzing Sheen's many books that he had uh, eight different books on, um, I want to say, spiritual guidance of how to interpret the seven words of Jesus uh, from the cross, the seven last words, and apply them to beatitudes, virtues, sin, um, you know, how to... uh, link, of course, the Blessed Mother to everything. And I thought, you know what? These are components or lessons that I think would lend themselves well to people's spiritual journey. And so that's the reason I thought, you know what? Let's put them all into one anthology because, Mm -hmm. again, there's seven little books. And when you put them together, all of a sudden you realize that you have a catechesis, uh, a spiritual program. So uh, Sheen... Mm -hmm again, is the mastermind. He knew what he was doing. And I had the privilege, of course, of seeing all of his works, you know, his 20 years of radio transcripts, his 30 years of newspaper columns, his 66 books. And when you lay them out on the desk, like almost like a war map, um, you, you start to see, like you're in the war room, you see that Sheen had developed this catechesis many years ago, and as, a, mm-hmm. and as a parish priest, he's saying, hmm, let's see, I have this parish of a couple million people who are going to listen to me every Sunday on the Catholic hour, 
and I'm going to catechize them year after year after year as if they were my own parish. And uh, so I think of, I'll give you an example. So 1933, mm-hmm. uh, Bishop Sheen's famous Good Friday Address is on the seven last words. And people have seen that book now many times. It takes only an hour to read, but it was his Good Friday Address from 1933. The following year, his Good Friday Address was on the seven last words and the Our Father. And so he attached parts of the Our Father to each one of the seven last words. So he was teaching us the Our Father. And then the following year, 1930, well, I just say two years after that, 1936, he gave seven reflections on the Mass, and he called it Calvary and the Mass. And he thought, again, the confidior, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And he took the parts of mm-hmm. the Mass and put it again to the cross and our Lord's Passion and the Seven Last Words. And so you could see he's teaching us the Our Father, he's teaching us the Seven Last Words, he's teaching us the Mass, and then he goes into the lesson plan of teaching us the Beatitudes. And so in 1937, he gave seven reflections over Lent about seven Beatitudes and linking them to the Seven Last Words. And he was giving us to say, you know, follow the imitation of Christ. You know, when in the first word he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Well, our Lord was meek, and we need to follow that example of him. And, you know, he continued week after week just uh, teaching another beatitude and another beatitude. But he was working and coaching us and saying, imitate Jesus. And, you know, I think it's this idea of he knew we needed something. We needed encouragement. And so he's saying, try this. Try the Beatitudes this year. And then he would leave us for a year and come back again and give us Lenten reflections. And then <laughs> 1937, he talked about the sorrows, the rainbow of sorrows, where he talked about unjust suffering. Why pain? Why does the innocent suffer? And, and he, he helped us understand to say, there's a reason for pain. And there's a reason why the innocent suffer. And he tied it again into the the Lord's Passion, his seven last words. Mm -hmm. And he did that year after year after year. And um, I I unlocked the mystery. It's almost like um, I started to see, ah, this is what Fulton Sheen was doing. He was the good parish priest working with his parishioners, which were the listeners, and saying, Mm -hmm. I know you're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs. You're going to ask questions. Why? 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 But I'm going to give you something all the time. I'm going to feed you. And uh, this is what I found. So I took seven themes and applied them and put them into the anthology in the order that he gave them. So I didn't have to find and the proper mixing and matching. I just thought if Fulton Sheen had developed this master plan, I was going to lay them out in the order that he gave them. And that's how I did it. And uh, so there's seven uh, actual reflections or complete books in the anthology, and they are in, you know, uh, a historical order, 1933 and then 1937 and 1938 and right up to 1945. And so, again, after you review each one of these books, you realize he did have a master plan. He did have a catechesis. And it's only that we can look back now and look at his whole body of work that we see his master plan. He wanted us to come to Jesus, and he did it so beautifully, just touching us with those things that are in our lives. You know, 
that we need to struggle and understand that sin is our our greatest enemy, but there's ways to counteract that sin. And uh, Sheen reveals that to us so beautifully. Did Sheen ever give an indication of why he wanted to focus so much on the seven last words? Well, here's what I think of. Um, Bishop Sheen in 1979, many people have seen this uh, video. It's called His Last Words. And Archbishop Sheen is there, and he, he says this. He says, you know, this is the 58th consecutive year of me preaching on our Lord's Passion, His death and resurrection, his 58th consecutive year. And so then you go, but he was only a priest for 60 years. And so he was ordained, ordained in 1919 and died in 1979. And so pretty well, his whole priestly mission, I, I want to say not his whole priestly mission, but a good chunk of it was making sure that he gave addresses on our Lord's Passion. And, you know, the famous uh, crowds that would gather to hear his Good Friday addresses in New York, I mean, four and five and six thousand people would uh, get tickets to hear his addresses, but 58 consecutive years. And so it says that 62 years was his uh, journey of the daily holy hour. He always preached the holy hour wherever he could. Mm -hmm. And even at the end of all his radio addresses, he would say, you know, do a holy hour, spend a day, spend a time with our Lord every day, do a holy hour. And so the holy hour for 62 years, and of course, our Lord's passion, his death and resurrection for 58 years. So that's a pretty long-standing tradition, and uh, it meant something to him. Awesome. Yeah, so I just go on sheer numbers. When he said that, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to do my homework and try to see if I can find these 58 reflections that he talked about. And I was able to find a number of them, and I wanted to put the seven best, I thought into this anthology. So, uh, but sheer oh. numbers, sheer numbers, 58 consecutive years of preaching Christ and him crucified. It's a perfect for good Friday, but especially with this book coming out, I'm letting our listeners know and anyone who can get their hands on it. It's a great Lent anthology, but is there a particular way to read it or a reading guide for going through right. with, uh, Archbishop Sheen? Yeah, I, I try to, now I've developed a reading guide that, um, Again, some people will download it uh, on the website, the bishopsheentoday.com website. You'll mm -hmm. see the Lenten reading guide there, and you click on it. And I just take people through, again, 10 minutes a day. Um, the book has 49 different meditations. And so the first week, we journey with the Beatitudes. The second week, we uh, talk about sorrow and suffering. Uh, the third week, we talk about the seven deadly sins. And so every day... Sheen will take you on that 10-minute, 15-minute homily that he gave on the Catholic Hour. And so every day you'll meditate on our Lord's Passion, one of the seven last words. And you can read all seven books, one after another, uh, during the season of Lent. Um, that is kind of the suggested reading guide. Now, many people mm. will just read the book as a Alexio Divina or their little companion where they just feel inspired to say, you know what, I, I want to read about unjust suffering today. I'm, I've got a friend mm -hmm. that's struggling with that or I want to uh, you know, read about laziness and I'm struggling with spiritual sloth and so I need some help and some coaching. So they'll just pick the titles that inspire them and they'll read those meditations. Uh, and other people love to do what they call a retreat about each one of the seven last words. And so 
for example, Mother Teresa, she loved the words, I thirst, and uh, built mm-hmm. a whole, um, uh, I want to say, spiritual program on it, in that every uh, adoration chapel, every chapel of Mother Teresa's sisters have a picture of our Lord in the, with him on the crucifix, and the words, I thirst, beside it, because that's where they want to focus the meditation, our Lord thirsting for us. And, of course, we helping him to satiate his thirst by being present to him. But you may want to look at the word I thirst and look at it seven different ways. Look at it mm. as a beatitude, as a virtue. Uh, our, our Lady's um, words from that she spoke. Um, so, again, there's, there's lots of ways you could just spend, you know, time and hours just meditating on the word I thirst. So... Again, mm-hmm. seven books in one. You can read the book after book, or you could read about, have a retreat with each word from from the cross. Or, as I said, you can just use, uh, let the Holy Spirit inspire you to just pick a meditation here, a meditation there. So, I always say three ways to read the book, but uh, again, just nice to have Sheen's writings all in one anthology, which is perfect. As we're getting ready for Lent, there's always one group that I think gets left out and those are the people who somehow and i'm including myself in this absolutely but you start lent with all the right intentions you're going to do this retreat you're going to give up this you're going to do these prayers suddenly it's a week and a half two weeks away from easter and you've done very little of what you set out to do is there a way this book can be used to kind of rescue your lent in that way yes yes like i i always think of what is lent and you know when they put the ashes on our head the priest usually either says, uh, he says one of two things. He says, you know, t- from ash to ash, <laughs> you know, ashes to ashes, you know. <laughs> Again, I'm kind of lost for words, but, you know, of course, sure. to dust you shall return, right? And mm-hmm. But another form that they say is they say, repent and believe the good news. And so that those words alone, repent of your sins and believe the good news. And I, I try to encourage people to say, try to tackle your sin. Try to just really... You know, you want to have a good holy confession during Lent, but really start to look at the sins in your life and uh, spend some time just being honest. And read, if you only could read, say, one or two reflections from the book, I say spend time on the seven deadly sins, that whole victory over vice. I always say the third meditations from each chapter and really just learn about sin and its effect of how it uh, caused our Lord to go to the cross. And then, of course, the remedy for the seven deadly sins is to, I like to say, practice virtue. And uh, again, all the virtues are laid out as a remedy and to practice the beatitude. So I always just say, you know, three out of the seven books, if you kind of have lost track, if you kind of got behind on your reading, spend time just turning away from your sin and amending your life. And, you know, we always say, I want to be good. I want to be good. How do I be good? Well, (laughs) how you be good is practice the Beatitudes, practice virtue, and you'll be good, okay? So so I always say the cold notes, I always say go to these three. Go to, again, the seven deadly sins, go to the virtues, go to the Beatitudes, and you'll be safe. You'll have a, you'll, it's only, you know, 21 of the 49 meditations, but, you'll at least recover and have something because that's what you really want to do is you want to give your will to our Lord and uh, mm-hmm. turn turn your life around. And that's what Sheen can do. So, uh, again, I don't know if that answers your question, Michael. Certainly does. Uh, follow-up to that, though, is we talk about 
confronting our sin, and that's really what Lent is about, but how does the writings of Fulton Sheen help us to really look at our sins instead of just, because we hear it every Sunday about, you know, our sins, but how does he help us to get to the heart of them? Right. Well, I think what Fulton Sheen did so well is he's saying, you know what, stop. It's that one scripture about, um, you know, it's a log in your own eye versus the log in your And he's saying, you know, you have to look at yourself and just realize God has forgiven you of such a great sin. Like you, you know, you can get, you can pick at your neighbor's sin and find all his faults, but you have to start realizing to say, you know, the Lord has forgiven you of even a greater sin. And so he really does uh, put his, um, I, I think he humbles us, but he gets us to say, stop looking at everybody else and start looking inside at you and spend some time. And, uh, you know, he really tackles pride so beautifully in this book. You know, there's intellectual pride, there's uh, social pride, mm-hmm. and there's financial pride. But I love, you know, Fulton Sheen would say, you know, why are you so proud? You know, like chemically, he said, chemically, you know, there's probably uh, seven bars of soap in you. Uh, there's enough phosphorus to make 2,000 matches, a little bit of magnesium, <laughs> um, two lumps of sugar. You know, chemically, you're worth about $4.73. Like, like <laughs> why? Why are you so proud? You know, like, you know, and but your your soul is worth everything, right? But, you mm-hmm. know, he really wanted us to be humble. And, you know, I always say he, he really does, um, I like to say, brings us to the Blessed Mother. Uh, think of that word, of course, woman, behold your son. And to the apostle he loved, behold your mother. Um, he really shows me, I know mean, he showed me and he shows literally everyone just how much our Blessed Mother loves us. She's here to help us. And you know what? We suffered, we, we caused her to suffer, that her son died on the cross because of our sins. And I encourage people to possibly even apologize to her. <laughs> and um, it's a great little thing to to come to the Blessed Mother and say, you know, uh, I'm sorry for what I did to your son, and I realize that you formed him. Like I want to become a Christian, I want to become a better, um, you know, follower of Christ. And she formed Christ for 30 years. Uh, who better to form us but the Blessed Mother? So go to her, and that's what Fulton Sheen wrote so beautifully: to go to Mary, you, you know, look to her as your mother, and she will help you. She helped a mother of the new church, uh, the apostles, of course. Our Lord, uh, you know, uh, again died and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the Blessed Mother mothered the new church, and she she continued to love them and help them and teach them. So we need to go to her too. So I always say part of my Lenten journey is to try to draw closer to the Blessed Mother and reconcile with her and develop to heal those wounds. And um, I don't know if I'm making mm-hmm. sense, but... Uh, yes. Yeah. Um I do know from Fulton she's writing that Mary comes up a lot, especially when we're talking about the crucifixion and the seven last words. Uh, can you go into a little bit more of Mary's place in the seven last words? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I always say she was there as like, you know, she, she's, she's always there. I mean, she was there in Bethlehem. She was there in Nazareth. She was there. <laughs> she's always there at Cana. She's always there. So the Blessed Mother's always there. And I love who she brought. I mean, mm-hmm. I always I give I give one talk at men's conferences called you know at the foot of the cross where have all the men gone? 
you know, where are the men, right? And and again, it's a little bit of a story because even in the church today, sometimes you always say, where are the men, you know? But uh, but I think of the Blessed Mother, how she brought John, you know? And I kind of always think of St. John, maybe he wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for her encouraging him to be there by her side. Uh, because I know that, you know, on Good Friday, of course, um, uh, of course, when um, our Lord was taken into custody, he would have gone to her and said, you know, they have the Lord. They have him in custody. And she would have said, stay with me, stay with me, be by my side. But he brought John to the foot of the cross. And who else was there was Magdalene. And of course, this converted prostitute. So I look at who Mary brought at the foot of the cross and who's with her. And so we can all learn from both John and Magdalene, uh, these beautiful, beautiful witnesses, you know, they really are. Mm-hmm. And she strengthened them. But she's there at the foot of the cross to bring all of us. And, you know, I think she says, just like our Lord, I forgive you, I love you, you're mine, you're my children. And, you know, Christ was her firstborn. But at the foot of the cross, when our Lord said, woman, behold your son and behold your mother, we became children of Mary. At that point, we became her children through spiritual adoption. Our Lord being the firstborn, John being the second, and you and me being the millionth born. Uh, she, mm-hmm. she is our mother, and we can't forget that. And I think this is what we have to remind everyone, that she is our mother, and Christ gave her as a gift to us uh, to, uh, to help us. And uh, again, a lot of times we ignore the gift. But I always say she's the perfect protective custody if you are like St. John and you bring her into your home. You know, at the foot of the cross, they left, um, you know, they buried our Lord, and then Mary went to live with St. John. If we took Mary into our home and gave her a spot in our home and, you know, truly lived that she was with us, we would amend our lives. Can you imagine if you said, hey, uh, who lives at your house? Well, the Blessed Mother lives with me. <laughs> I'm going <gonna> be, <laughs> to behave. I'm going to behave. Yeah. yeah. When I'm on the internet, I'm going to behave. When I'm having friends over, I'm going to behave because the Blessed Mother is with me. And so uh, she is great. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I mm-hmm. joke and have this, but I, in a way I'm serious too because I think this is what Sheen did. He said, you need her in your life. You need to appreciate her and she loves you, and go to her, you know. And so uh, I think he leads by example, and he does it in his writings. You you read the anthology, and you will see this mm-hmm. great love story of how Sheen loves the Blessed Mother and points to her as a great example, and uh, she imitates our Lord, and uh, she is faithful. So uh, lots to learn there, lots to learn there. Absolutely, and I think also... Yeah, she imitates the Lord and can kind of be that step to show us how to be more like the Lord, which can, it always seems like an insurmountable task, to say the least. True, true. Tell me a little bit about uh, some of the gems or surprises you found when creating this anthology. Right. Well, you know, people are always, uh, you know, they need hope, they need encouragement. Mm -hmm. And I try to say to people, you know, there's so many encouraging words uh, in this anthology and, you know, I think sometimes on radio and the Internet, we're kind of a numbers uh, type of people. We're always saying, you know, how are we doing with our numbers, yep. our reach? And I always think of this one beautiful um, passage in the book that Sheen shares about, um, and it's, it's from the Beatitude, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. And Sheen just says this. He goes, let me share with you a little numbers game. He says, 
just imagine that uh, Al Smith was the only person who really believed uh, in the church, and uh, he was able to convert one soul. He converted Michael Lichens to uh, the church and to Christ. And those two, Alan and Michael, went out, and they each converted a soul at the end of the year. And then those souls, they converted another set of souls. So it's just a simple multiplication where we just, every year, we do this doubling effect. And then Sheen says, he says, you know, at the end of three years, there would be eight converts. Now, how many would there be from this one zealous believer at the end of only 30 years? At the communion rails of the church, at the end of the 30th year, there would be one billion... 73,741,824,000 souls breaking their fast with the bread of life. And I just go, and that's the simple math, and I think everybody today is, after we, uh, this interview's over, they're going to go in their calculators, they're going to do the math and go, you know, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, and you do the multiplication, so after 30 years, there'd be 1 billion souls. Have that confidence. Mm-hmm. We've lost our zeal of sharing the faith. But if we would just pick up our zeal once again and just realize I just need to try to convert one, bring one soul to Christ, and let the multiplication effect, the the math take place, again, within 30 years, we could have a billion new Catholics, uh, you know, breaking their fast and uh, receiving the Eucharist. So, again, if just that one soul is faithful and he just keeps trying his best. So, uh, again, a numbers game. So that one always, that's a sheen gem in the book. Uh, again, if you're thinking of numbers, just look to that. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's lots of sheen gems. I could, <laughs> there's oh, yes. so many of them, but that was one. And, um, you know, of course, there's um, the one on gluttony that I love, and he always talks mm-hmm. about he, the one famous line that he says. He says, there's more health clubs in America than there is spiritual retreat houses. And uh, it's so true. And they wrote that in 1939. There's more health clubs oh my gosh. than there is spiritual retreat houses. And, uh, you know, he said something. He said, everybody loves to work out one to two hours a day. But if I ask you to spend five minutes on your knees in prayer, <laughs> it's like, you mm-hmm. know, it's just this disaster. And so he really convicts us when he says, you know, men are spending more time on their bodies than they are their souls. And the amount of Oy. money that we're spending on this stuff, and the poor is suffering. So, um, again, these little little notes where he pricks our conscience and uh, just mm-hmm. he straightens us out. So, um, lots of things. So, uh, this is where the conversion comes. Sheen shames us in a nice way. He really does. Uh, he pricks our he pricks our conscience, as every good priest should. <laughs> as there, yeah, oh yeah. If we all need to work on something and all that note. What is some good advice that you've had? I mean, you've done retreats for many years. What's some good advice as we're about to enter Lent? How would you say is a great way for someone to start preparing for that? Right. Yeah, I think what I try to do is I say to people, um, find the crucifix. Find a crucifix. Um, you know, I, I when I give a parish retreat, the first talk I give is I say, where's the cross in your life? And I, mm-hmm. what I mean a lot of times is where are the crucifixes in your home, in your office, in your place of business? Um, you know, the crucifix has been taken down. Um, there is a lot of pressure in society to remove the crucifix because some people find it offensive. 
uh, because Fulton Sheen wrote, he says, you can have a statue of the Buddha in your garden. You can have a picture of the Sphinx or mm-hmm. Niagara Falls. And you're, you're not really moved. But if you put a crucifix on your, day, on your desk for three days, put a, cruci- mm-hmm. yeah, put a crucifix on your desk for three days, it will change you. It will affect you because you realize it convicts you and you had something to do with it. And so I get people to find the crucifix find the crucifix and start to meditate with the crucifix. I want to reintroduce this devotion where we can look at the crucifix just like the saints did. We always see the pictures of all the saints. Mm-hmm. They're holding a crucifix. And I think of those beautiful words of St. Thomas Aquinas. It's the very first line in the book. And St. Thomas Aquinas said, I've learned more from the crucifix than any of my books. I've learned hmm. more from the crucifix than any of my books. So, I get people to find their crucifix. I, I say to them, mm-hmm. if I gave you $100 for everyone to come back to the next day at the Paris Mission with a crucifix, they'd all find them. <laughs> they'd all find them. You know? But find your crucifix and, and bring, put it in your pocket. Put it on your desk. Um, mm-hmm. re- reintroduce the crucifix into your life. So this Lent, I say to people, get your crucifixes out. Put them everywhere. Go buy them if you have to. You can buy a nice crucifix for a few dollars. But yes. start looking at the crucifix. Start gazing upon our Lord and his love for you, that he died on the cross for you, and thank him for dying for you. Thank him. Kiss your crucifix. Thank him every day for dying on the cross for you. And that's where I begin. I begin with the crucifix. And I say we need to reintroduce this devotion, this devotion to the crucifix. Mm-hmm. And then we start talking about the seven last words and what our Lord said on Mount Calvary. So... Uh, that's my beginner. That's what I try to do. And if that alone, that sometimes is a catechesis all in itself, just looking upon the Lord. And uh, it's amazing. It melts hearts. It really does. Because then you see God's mm-hmm. great love for you, that he died for you. He laid down his life for you. And uh, so, again, a beautiful, a beautiful practice to have a devotion to the crucifix. And that's that's where I begin. That's Beautiful and exactly a great place to start. That may seem very simple to a lot of people, but I keep icons around me and use them for my meditation. And I'll tell folks, within a week, you start to notice a difference in how your brain jumps to things. And it's a lovely way to go about Lent. And now we're out of time here. So to tell us a little bit more about you, Alan, where can people learn about you and your new book, Rise of Jesus from the Cross. Right. Well, the book is published by Sophia Institute Press. And so mm-hmm. you can order the book online uh, through Sophia Institute Press. And uh, I always say, you know, salvation is free, uh, but for under $20, you can have maintenance. It's a great maintenance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, salvation is free, but maintenance will cost you just a few dollars. But uh, again, Sophia has a great selection of books and not only The Cries of Jesus from the Cross, but other great titles. So uh, you'll find The Cries of Jesus from Cross from Sophia Institute Press. And people can find me and more writings of Fulton Sheen on my website. And it's simply bishopsheentoday.com. And so it's mm-hmm. easy to remember, we need Bishop Sheen today. So bishopsheentoday.com, and there I have hundreds of uh, radio broadcasts. I have 100 YouTube videos, uh, uh, downloadable books uh, from his uh, transcripts, from his um, radio addresses. There's all kinds of things to listen to Sheen, watch Sheen, uh, read Sheen. So bishopsheentoday.com is where you can find Sheen and find me. And uh, maybe that's, uh, again, your 
your Lenten practices to watch some Sheen videos and read the book, The Cries of Jesus from the Cross. And not a bad self-guided Lenten retreat. And we'll put links to all of that on CatholicExchange.com, including to the retreat guide from BishopSheenToday.com. It's a very helpful one if you want to follow along with this book. And I do highly recommend it, as I recommend all of Sheen's readings. So, yeah, it has the full Michael Litchens endorsement. And other than that, Alan, I want to thank you so much, not just for coming on here today. This has been a delightful conversation, but really for your passion and for the work you've put in to spreading Fulton Sheen throughout North America and the world, if all we're at it. It's been a joy, and we can't thank you enough. Well, it's been my pleasure. It's been a labor of love, and I know that it makes a difference in people's lives. So, uh, again, uh, go to God, and <laughs> again, Sheen, Sheen will point the way. He is that priest that brings us to Jesus. Um, and so, uh, again, read your Sheen. And uh, thank you for having me, Michael. I appreciate it very much. Of course. And for all of you listening at home, if you want to learn more, as I said, I'll put all those links on CatholicExchange.com. If you have any other questions or you think, hey, we should have more Bishop Sheen on your show, Michael, email me, editor at CatholicExchange.com. That's editor at CatholicExchange.com. Other than that, we'll join you folks next week. We'll have a little bit more on Lent throughout the whole Lenten season, but this is a fantastic place to start. God love you all. Have a wonderful week. You're listening to the Catholic Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back. Next up on the sampler, an offering from A Catholic Priest Talks About. In this episode, Father Jack shares the story and reflection on the classic tale of the devil and Daniel Webster, with an admonition to begin things more carefully. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of A Catholic Priest Talks About. On this episode, we're going to speak about a short story called The Devil and Daniel Webster. The Devil and Daniel Webster. It's a wonderful short story by the author Stephen Vincent Bennett. And the story is about, or it begins with, a poor farmer, a real down-on-his-luck farmer named Jabez Stone. And one day it gets so bad, he just says, It's enough for a man to sell his soul to the devil. And the devil shows up. And he trades his soul for seven, and then eventually he negotiates for ten years of plenty. You know, blessing, he becomes famous, wealthy, respected, maybe even a senator or a governor. But over time, as the date comes near when he's got to go, you know, give his soul up to the devil, he gets nervous, he gets more and more scared. So eventually, he goes and he begs, you know, Daniel Webster. Now, Daniel Webster was a famous American constitutional lawyer. He argued in front of the Supreme Court. You know, he was eventually ran for president. Big deal guy, you know, really great man, generally accepted to be a, a stand-up guy, lover of freedom and justice, you know, anti-slavery, the whole bit. And Daniel Webster, big barrel-chested man, says, of course I'll help you out. You know, you're from New Hampshire like me. Of course I'll help you out. So on the day or on the night that the contract is due, the devil shows up. And Daniel Webster's not scared of him. Just looks him right in the eye. Hello, sir. And when the devil says, well, good to meet you, Mr. Webster, I'm uh, I'm here to collect my property. And he says, well, no, no, no. Stone is an, you know, Mr. Stone is an American citizen, so he, he can't be taken by a foreign prince. We'll go to war. 
you can't, you're a foreign, you're a prince of a foreign land. And the response is really what I want to read to you. Um, you can read the story. You should read the story on your own. It's a great read. But the response, he says, the devil says, foreign, said the stranger. And who calls me a foreigner? Well, I never heard yet of the dev of your claiming American citizenship, said Daniel Webster with surprise. And who with better right, said the stranger, with one of his terrible smiles. When the first wrong was done to the first Indian, I was there. When the first slaver put out for the Congo, I stood on her deck. Am I not in your books and stories and beliefs from the first settlements on? Am I not spoken of still in every church in New England? Tis true, the North claims me for a Southerner, and the South for a Northerner, but I am neither. I am merely an honest American like yourself, and of the best descent. For, to tell the truth, Mr. Webster, though I don't like to boast of it, my name is older in this country than yours. It's a great quote. Now, since the devil claims citizenship, Daniel Webster says, well, then I want a trial by jury. You're a citizen. He's a citizen. I want a trial by jury. And the devil agrees, but he has a couple of rules. And one of them is he gets to pick the judge and the jury. And Webster agrees. He says, ah, they're American. That's fine. So the devil summons the judge and jury. And of course, all of them are a part of America's history, but they're murderers, traitors, pirates, cruel authority figures. And the judge is one of the judges who served on the Salem witch trials. In other words, they're all the souls of the damned. Because the devil's stacking the jury. You know, he's going to win just because everybody's from hell, from his side. Now, the rest of the story I leave for you to read. I promise it's worth your time. It's a short story. A great read. They've made a few movies based on it. None of them have really done it justice, except for the, the one from 1947, I guess. But just read the story. It's a great short story. But the part I want to focus on for tonight is the devil's response. It's always, it's always stuck with me. It's, it's really something else, you know? I think of the, the idea that the devil can claim to be a part of the very founding of America. You know, the devil says, yeah, I'm part of America. What are you talking about? I'm part of America right from the beginning. Right from before America was America, I was part of it. So I get to claim citizenship. That's always been fascinating to me and terrifying. Because the thoughts for me are, well, what else can the devil be claimed to be a part of? What else has he been a part of from the beginning? What other things have begun with evil? You know, there's an interesting theory at the devil. When, when you deal with the devil in, in, in many things, he doesn't fight based on strength because after all, you can always appeal to God and God is stronger than the devil. So that the devil rarely uses his strength to get someone, to trick someone, to possess someone, to, to fight a possess, uh, exorcism, that he'll fight based on authority or permission. In other words, he can always say, look, I was invited or the, or the sin was freely chosen, and therefore I belong. Or this person belongs to me. I get to be here because I was a guest. And so that whenever you fight the devil, you know, of course you count on God's strength, but also you have to make sure that you, you or whoever you're helping hasn't given him authority or permission to be there. So what else can the devil claim to be a part of? Well, for me, I always thought about it, and it struck me. I remember reading the story ages ago. I think it was a kid in school when I read it. And it, I always thought about it. How often has I, have I begun something in sin? And so the devil's technically a part of it. How often do we begin something in sin and never bother to realize that we invited the devil to be a part of it? Like relationships or marriage, right? I, I sometimes sit with couples and I go, look, uh, whatever you've done before you see me, live chastely from now on. 
they kind of get nervous or awkward. Oh, my father, listen to me. On the day of your wedding, you don't want the devil to be a guest because you invited him. The devil always shows up, but he's not invited. Marriage, vocations, careers, you know, people do anything for a job. And I go, be careful. Don't do something that soils your soul because you'll owe the devil there just to get the job. Now, a good confession can always restart you. That's that's a proven principle of the faith. But how often do you make a point of going to confession when you're starting something? Do you? Right before you start a new job, right before you start a sacrament, you know, if you're around me, I'm going to I'm gonna push you to go. I'm like, come on, you got to go to confession. When? Right now. You should go, at least, because you should start something clean. But how often do we do that? How often do we, you know, make a point of starting something? If you can't go to confession, maybe it's not available to you. Fine. How often do you start something with a prayer? You know, to make sure that right when we begin a building, right when we begin a job, right when we begin a vocation, right when we begin a sacrament or study, do we start it when we are about to move into something? Do we start it with a prayer? You know, another question is, that makes this story, always, I always thought about it, was if I have started something in sin, can it be rectified? Can I clean it up? Will it ever really be clean? Now, that one's easier to answer. I can tell you that one. Confession always gives you a complete restart. Even with serious moral evil, God's mercy is always greater. So even if you're absolutely started something in vile evil, you can always go to confession and begin again. The question is, do you ever think about it? And when you think about it, do you really believe you can turn to God? A lot of people, as a priest, people tell me, oh, Father, I don't know if I can start over. I did this wrong. I started wrong. And it's already wrong. No, you can always start over. You know, it's a, it's a short story, but it's given me many, many years of things to think about. And I often counsel people. I go, look, when you're going to start something, make sure to start it clean. Go to confession if you can or start it with a prayer. Make sure you're not doing something wrong in your life. So that you don't invite the devil. He's not a guest at the founding of anything. Because he'll always show up. But when he does, you can always pray that he has to leave. And he can't say, well, I belong here. I was invited. You can go, no, 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 no. You showed up, sure. But you weren't invited. It's something simple. You remember, he's been there. Listen, folks, he's been there since the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane to the final chapters of the book of Revelation. The question is, can he claim rightful permission to be there? Because I've given it to him question is am i able to throw him out because he wasn't invited wasn't wanted wasn't needed and so it's just a simple principle simple idea simple reflection today just to start everything well even good things you're going to marry this person start it well you're going to do a job start it morally school family habits start them well and if not then if you didn't already rectify it fix that today find a place go to confession sincerely maybe some prayers to start it with and be sure to give God permission to interfere. Make sure to invite God to be part of things. Now, when you invite God to do something, it gets a little scary. But it's necessary. When you invite God into your life for something, we sometimes get nervous because you know God's not going to do what you want him to do. You know, <laughs> The danger with God is not that you know he's ever going to treat us bad. The danger that people feel when they talk about God is that he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. That's That's the truth. People get nervous about that. They don't get nervous about God. Anybody who believes in any kind of God, it goes, okay, he's a nice guy. Except what he means by nice may not be what I mean by nice. And so the, the trick is to trust him. 
to say, okay, he may ask me not to do what I want to do. He may stop me from doing what I want to do. He may push me away to do something new. But I trust him, and I'm going to invite him to be part of that anyway. And that way, I know that God is a guest, right? Do I give God citizenship in my life when I'm starting something? It's worth thinking about because a lot of times we start something and we it never occurs to us. We just kind of move on and move in and go forward. And then later on, when things get bad or uncomfortable, we get a pause. We kind of get nervous. We go, wait a minute. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not? And, and when you struggle with you know terrible temptation or terrible diabolic things, you sit there and go, I don't know. And then you have to realize, no, wait, I can always start over. I invited God at the beginning. Or if I didn't, I'd invite him now. I want to make sure that he's a member. He's a citizen. God can claim citizenship in my life. And how do I know what God would want me to do? How would I know what God wants to guide me? Well, the first thing that I always tell people is, are you in a state of grace? That's another form of making a dev- the devil a citizen of your life. He kind of hangs out. He's always a, a guest in your in your spiritual home. You're like, well, he's always around. You know, I'm just kind of used to him. I'm used to this sin. Father, I always do this sin. It's, it's not that easy to give it up, you know? Of course, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And so, am I living in a state of grace? It's also another way, because when you're in a state of grace, that's when your antenna, you know, your radio is kind of tuned in to God, right? If you're not tuned in to God, then how do you know when he's going to talk to you? God can talk to anyone. He always does. God speaks to the worst people and the best people. They have moments where they feel God's grace. The question is, is it going to be easier or harder for you and for him to communicate because your radio's tuned into his frequency, right? God can always get a message if you want to go back to the citizenship thing. God can always get a message through, but it's a lot harder for him if you never invited him in. If he's not a citizen, he's got to figure out a way to get through to you. But if you're living in a state of grace, if you are you have some sort of a prayer life, I'm not saying you're a perfect saint in every prayer warrior in every moment, but you got something going for you, then you'll be able to receive the message a lot more clearly. And you'll have better spiritual instincts. If you're used to doing the right thing, then you'll know the right thing when you feel it. It's a simple principle. It's a simple story. It's a simple lesson. It's a it's a great story. Uh, the author won the O. Henry Award for short stories, and he won a whole bunch of awards with this story. I promise it's worth your time to get a read. But that part of it where the devil says, I'm not a foreigner. I was part of America from when it was founded. It's always made me think, how many things have I started or founded? And I wasn't sure that God was a member, or I wasn't sure, perhaps worse, the devil was a member. May Almighty God inspire us to do the right thing, and if we have, to start the right way, and if we haven't, then to rectify it. May God give us the light to know His will and the strength to get it done. God bless. In closing this week's sampler, let us all pray that our faith will grow throughout this coming Lenten season rooted firmly in the past and reaching toward the kingdom which is to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indies Lunchtime Podcast Sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org along with links to more of the programs we've shared. Until next time, I'm Kent Blanford. May God bless. <laughs>